Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. This is actually going to be our first best of episode. Um, so now that we're over a year into doing uh, this podcast and we're, uh, you know, around 60 or so episodes, um, we've decided to uh, do some best of episodes. Uh, maybe one a quarter we'll probably do. And the reason for that is that there is so much good information and we're going to group them into themes. Uh, the theme of this one uh, is really a, around accelerating growth, and we're going to pull out uh, just uh, you know a few excerpts from some of the um, uh, from about in this case four of the prior uh, podcasts, and and put them together in a way that you know I think uh, will be useful for the audience here, and you'll get to hear uh, a few different views on on the particular topic. And then also, uh, you know, some of these are from uh, from earlier episodes that, uh, you know, obviously we've gotten a uh, growing audience as the podcast has continued. Uh, and, you know, you may have missed some of these, uh, especially if they were earlier and you didn't start listening yet, or maybe you haven't been listening, but you didn't, you know, you missed an episode. So, you know, if you find something that uh, is interesting to you here in the best of episode, you can always go back and and check out the full episode of that uh, person that we have a clip from. Um, so on this best of episode, we're going to be, uh, have a clip from uh, Carl Gould, who was um, episode 45, so not that long ago. Um, Bruce Eckfeld, who's back on episode 11, so it's very possible those of you came in later might not have heard Bruce's episode unless you went back and listened to past episodes. Uh, the third person is Phil Buchanan, episode 9, so similarly an early one. And then Matt Wavro, which is episode 48. And um, and you'll you'll hear those excerpts with a little you know some connectors for me, and then I'll close it. And uh, and um, again, we're, we're going to do these uh, sort of by theme or topic, uh, probably once a quarter. So here we go. We're going to kick it off. Uh, we're going to start off with uh, Carl Gould, who's uh, going to talk a little bit about um, monthly recurring revenue, the value of that, how you accelerate valuation, and then eventually sell to competitors. So here we go with Carl Gould. So I had a landscaping company, which I sold. And then subsequently, I had a construction company that I sold. And they were similar in that I, um, I sold them to competitive companies. Uh, there were people I knew, actually. And, um, and they were, uh, I, I felt the time was right. I'm, I was dispassionate about those two businesses because they weren't my really my true calling. And um, I, I felt like I got a good deal for each one of them. However, the, I probably didn't get the best deal I could have because it was, I was leaving at a time that was more convenient to me than probably convenient for the business, mm -hmm. uh, meaning I got the most out of it when I got out of it. I was a little bit more purposeful when I, built the, uh, when I sold the construction company um, my first, because I, I, I knew I wanted to do coaching and you know, I had a, a little mantra with my advisor at the time and I said, I want to hang up the hammer. You know, and so the business was much more of a well-run machine um, that was more sellable. Um, the uh, my landscaping company I built on hustle, and I had built uh, because you know 
you wouldn't have used the terms MRR and ARR back then, monthly recurring revenue and, and annual recurring revenue. But that's what I had. I had a, la a landscape maintenance company where we had long-term contracts. I was able to sell the contracts. I was able to sell the relationships and got a premium for that. Some of my project work, uh, but, that, but I learned very quickly in my landscaping company that my MRR was worth three to four times what my project revenue was. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so I was winning that game on hustle and what made the landscaping uh, deal a good deal was I was able to sell my recurring revenue, which was excellent, um, at the time. Um, and that's what really drove the value of that deal. The construction company was mostly project based work, but I owned, I was on the other side of the transaction. I bought the land own the land. Um, I had a log home dealership as well as a modular home dealership uh, distributorship. And so I had more assets to sell and I had deals where I, I was able to sell off the value of the deals that I had. And in both cases, I had built up a brand which was stronger than the people who had bought from me. So I agreed to stay on and receive a commission for any referrals I got because I understood and I learned on the first deal, the, even though I sell my business, the people that I sold called me to say, well, we want to stay with you. And, and because of the advertising I'd been doing at the time, people still called me, right? Even though, you know, the owner bought the business, they had the number, people were still finding their way to me. So uh, what I learned in the first deal was I said, hey, listen, people are still going to call me. I am happy to stay on and be a referrer. Or if it's convenient enough, sell and close the deal. Won't take too much effort. You know, it's not a long sales cycle in, in these two businesses. So let's strike a commission deal or a referral deal because I truly don't want to be in either of these businesses anymore. But I do know people are going to call me. So I'm happy to be an ambassador. I want it to go well for you. And, and so we were, what, what I think worked well in both deals that I'm glad that we did was we worked out an arrangement where I can participate in any new business I sent them. And in the first deal, that went on for a few years. When I sold my landscaping company, there were only a few companies like us around. And that was the early 90s in our area. So that actually worked out really well for the next few years. And I made um, you know, significant side hustle money, if you will, um, just answering the phone, you know, answering questions for the prospect and reassuring them that the person that bought my company was a good place to go. And I, I had said to them, tell me what you plan to charge and I can give them a good range. And believe me, I'll tee them up well. So when they get to your sales folks or your estimators, they're going to, it's going to be your job to lose. Let's put it that way. And that worked out really well. So I'm, I'm glad that we did that. And, and the, the transition of power was very peaceful, if you know what I mean. So you just heard from Carl Gould talking about actually some of his early experiences in selling uh, two of his businesses and how he created monthly recurring revenue and, and sold and then also found a way to continue to make money um, after by still being affiliated with the company and sending business there. Um, Carl, by the way, if you want to listen to his full episode now, is a phenomenal uh, coach and consultant uh, to help uh, you know companies grow. And there's a lot more on that episode on what he's done. We just took some of his early stuff. We're now going to transition into Bruce Eckfeld, who uh, Bruce is a, is a scaling up uh, coach and, and consultant, uh, a, a phenomenal guy, good friend of mine. And um, he talked about how he helps companies dramatically scale. So now we're moving from where Call was in those early businesses, although, again, he does stuff with, with uh, companies that accelerate growth now as well. But in terms of the excerpts, 
we're moving to Bruce talking about how we scale a company. And then he and I got a discussion uh, about um, Les McEwen's work with uh, predictable success um, and that book and, and how we both sort of believe in some of those concepts and getting through white water and uh, various stages that he talks about. So check out this excerpt from Bruce Eckfeld. You know, most of the time I'm being hired to dramatically scale a company. We're looking at, you know, 50 to 100% or more uh, growth per year, you know, when I get involved. And, and honestly, one of the first questions I talk to leadership, you know, I'll sit down with the CEO, with the founder, you know, if they're running the company. And, you know, we have a kind of frank, honest conversation of do they really want to do this? Uh, because it, you know, growing the business is more than just about, you know, more, more revenue at the top of the, um, you know, top of the uh, uh, balance sheet. I mean, we're looking at, uh, really changing how the organization operates, and it's a change in what the leadership needs to do. And yeah, like you said, quite often, uh, I've, I've, I've seen too many cases where, you know, the entrepreneur starts to grow the business, and they stop having fun, and they stop enjoying it. And, uh, you know, best case scenario is they realize it, and they either uh, stop growing, and they, they shrink it back to where they're having fun, uh, or they, they, you know, look to, um, you know, monetize the value of the company and get back to starting something new. Uh, worst case scenario is they, they, get into a self-sabotage mode (laughs) kind of destroying the value they've created because they, you know, they don't really want to grow, but they're not aware enough around it to, to, you know, take a more productive option around it. And it is, it's an honest conversation where we just look at what is it, uh, what does it mean to grow and what is the leadership change uh, that, that a CEO needs to go through? Uh, And, you know, this, you're, you're, you're now operating a company through other people and building out a leadership team. And, and that is a different kind of process um, and a different kind of work than, you know, if you're uh, a craftsman or a master uh, of a particular trade or a particular, um, you know, whether it's technology or design or you will do less of the actual work. And if that is not, uh, if that's, it's not something that you want, then scaling can be a really difficult uh, challenge. I think personally for, for the leader, for the CEO. So it, it's something I think you, you really need to, you know, have some hard conversation around and think about before you really embark on the scaling process because it's uh, it will impact you. You know, it, it, it makes me think about, I'm a fan of uh, Les uh, McEwen's book, uh, Predictable yeah. Success. And, yeah. you know, and and he talks about, uh, you know, after your startup phase, we have some challenges or whatever. It, you know, if you have some level of success, you get to this phase that he calls fun. And and it's yeah. a, you know, it's a phase where, you know, things you start to get, the money's coming in, you sort of rock in and, you know, the visionary is, you know, is, is happy and they have somebody that he calls an operator. I won't get into his whole framework, yeah. but it's worth checking out uh, for our listeners. But, you know, and you, and you can operate in fun forever. Uh, uh, but it's not scalable. And then, you know, once you scale uh, and you try to get to what he calls predictable success, where you have a scaled business with systems and processes and, you know, the right team in place, et cetera. Uh, you know, but but the, the phase he calls in between fun and uh, and predictable success, he calls whitewater. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's that that uh, we use that model a lot. And I think that. Um, uh, and, and, you know, Les talks about this, but, I, you know, I, I see it in company again and again is you, you move into whitewater unless you have a plan to get through whitewater quickly uh, and into that predictable success. Uh, it's painful. That's right. And, and it's interesting because, you know, we're talking about deals, which is really where, um, you know, we, we, we focus, uh, uh, you know, in this podcast. 
you know, th- deals can be a great way to help to scale, but but also deals can throw you into whitewater if you don't do it right. Yeah. And you're not prepared. I mean, you know, integrating technology, integrating culture, integrating people, you know, integrating new clients, integrating different systems. So, uh, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, in your code, when you work with clients, um, how do you how do you prepare these clients? Yeah. They look at it grow in general, but certainly through deals. You know, how do you prepare them so that their their journey through Whitewater? Because I'm because I, I I don't believe you can skip Whitewater, but 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 their journey through Whitewater is much you know much smoother, and they get and they get the predictable success uh, much more quickly. Yeah, I would say it's it's really speed. <laughs> it's like you're always going to go through Whitewater. You just want to go through it as fast as possible. So that was some great information from Bruce Eckfeld, who helps companies uh, scale. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Again, check out his episode if you haven't heard it yet. Uh, we now move on to Phil Buchanan. Uh, Phil has a very substantial educational company in the financial services space. And we talked about, uh, it happened to be in financial services, but it applies everywhere on doing um, uh, deals uh, in terms of um, small onboarding deals or acquisitions. And one of the scaling um, techniques is how to do geographical expansion uh, the right way in doing deals. So check out Phil Buchanan's uh, input on accelerating growth. In my way of thinking, um, a, a deal, quote unquote, uh, can, can take any and all of the examples that you talked about. And some of the more successful deals that, that I've actually witnessed um, have been scenarios where there are, uh, if you will, small, small lift outs. Um, and again, this goes back to the purpose of, of why you, you wish to do a deal. And so um, I'll give you a, a couple of examples where um, I've been you know, directly involved in, uh, in, in recent months and years that uh, really turned the tide. So you're, you're part of an organization and uh, you, you're strongly established in a certain marketplace. You've got the capacity to grow. You've got the capital to grow. And uh, you don't want to go into uh, a marketplace necessarily de novo. Uh, but what you're not looking to do is, uh, uh, is to create, uh, you know, a, a huge capital strain uh, on your entity. Uh, one of the smartest things that you could do there is to uh, to go in and make a uh, make a strategic hire um, to to establish in uh, a new marketplace. So you're in XYZ city. Uh, you want to be in ABC city. Uh, how do you how do you go about doing that? Uh, one of the things that I would encourage people to think about, if that's that's truly an objective they've got, is usually that that first deal, that first transaction, that first hire in a new marketplace uh, needs to carry what I call a level of gravitas to it. Uh, Because I've seen both sides of this. I've seen uh, firms go into a marketplace and they, they won't, they won't go in and and take you know the really really big leap. They'll go in and quietly acquire a tier two or a tier three practice, or do a lift out, uh, or do a hire. And again, it's a tier two or it's a tier three, and it makes almost zero splash. It doesn't it doesn't catch anybody's attention. And when I say anybody's attention, uh, I mean the competitor marketplace, but I also mean the client marketplace because many times those tier two and tier three practices. Uh, they don't have uh, the 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 top tier 
uh, quality clientele uh, that are part of it. They don't have the uh, the thriving reputation. They don't have the, the growth engine behind it. And so the the situations that I've seen there that have been more successful have been when you you do go after the more successful practices, and you may even pay a bit of a premium uh, for that first opportunity to to establish that brand, to establish that track record. Because really what you're trying to do, my experience, uh, and going into a new market like that is you're, you're buying reputation. You're, you're, you're establishing yourself, you're establishing your firm, but you're, 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 you're taking the reputation of that, that experienced practitioner, that experienced practice, uh, and, and adding it in and folding it in under, uh, under your umbrella. And that does a couple of things. Uh, number one, that gets you established in that marketplace and hopefully with a uh, positive and accretive cash flow. But the second thing that it does is it alerts the the other potential joiners of the practice down the line that you're very serious about that marketplace, that you're willing to make uh, that level of investment. And so I would, you know, just as a lesson learned is when you're when you're coming into a new marketplace, uh, come into that marketplace, be be forward leaning, um, take your time, do your diligence and be willing to invest what's necessary to to make that type of uh, make that type of transaction, I don't know if, if you've seen something similar in in your experience, or or maybe even something different. No, no, I I, I absolutely think it's brilliant advice, and I and, and I 100 percent agree with it. And and then you know the interesting part is just to follow through on uh, on uh, what you're saying is those you know tier two firms, which may be you know that you, that are not the right firms to be the initial uh, firm to give you the gravitas and establish yourself in a market. Those are great firms to then tuck in and acquire, you know, on the second, third, and fourth deal because there are a lot of quality firms out there that are doing, you know, great, great work for clients, but they don't necessarily have the reputation, they don't have the scale, they don't have the systems, uh, et cetera. And you know, what you do is on those deals, you, you know, you that's not your first deal, but it could be your second, third, and fourth deal. That's exactly right. Boy, did I have fun with Phil Buchanan on that uh, on that episode. Check out and 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 go back. Uh, uh, definitely a fun episode to listen to if you if you haven't heard it yet. And uh, you know, I, I we we just had a blast, and we've gotten to know each other. And it's uh, Phil's a great guy. So check out his episode. All right, now we move on to our final excerpt from Matt Wavero. Um, so Matt has built a phenomenal company in New York City in the construction uh, and engineering space. And he talks about strategic alliances to help accelerate growth, including with minority and women-owned business enterprises, which is another key strategy. So check out Matt Waybro. We do have another deal that's kind of uh, in, in the works. Um, so some strategic alliances. So uh, a, a big part of construction in New York City and and certainly with um, with public work, like work for work for the city or the state, is um, MWBE. That's uh, Minority and Women-Owned Business Enterprises. Um, there's a there are goals for MWE, uh, MWBE participation in projects. Um, so we formed some some alliances with um, other inspection agencies that are MWBEs, and we've been able to take a project and you know basically have. Uh, sub 30% of it out to an MWBE and be able to help satisfy the MWBE goals for the project. Um, that's some of the things that we've done. And that's a great area. I've done some of those deals and, you know, listeners, it's, it's a great area because there are these, you know, requirements uh, and some of them are governmental. So some of them are even in corporate deals. So, you know, so some of the big companies have 
uh, requirements from the MWB uh, participation. And um, at the same time, some of these MWB companies uh, need some additional capacity, uh, you know, to be able to uh, fill some of these contracts because, the, you know, some of them tend to be smaller and et cetera. So, it, you know, it works out really well because uh, the uh, majority-owned company like Matt's gets access to contracts and projects they wouldn't otherwise be able to sometimes. Um, and the MWB company gets in on the deal and, and, be, and, and is able to provide services with the support. Of the uh, of the strategic alliance uh, company partner like Matt's company uh, on uh, jobs that uh, are sometimes bigger or more complex than they can handle on their own. Yeah, yeah I, have, I have to give credit to the, you know, the the, the company. A, a lot of the ways that we have grown has been through me seeing an opportunity. So I I'm a mechanical engineer by background. So I started doing mechanical inspections, and I was given advice to, hey, Matt, you know, you, you need to have your company do not only the mechanical, but the structural as well. And I said, hey, that's, that's a good idea, you know, become the one-stop shop. And they're like, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, a, a, an owner wants to hire one company to do all their inspections. So I, I went out, I, I started branching into structural inspections. And then, you know, you can see that the large projects, large construction projects, um, again, on that one-stop shop, you know, aspect, is they want you to have a concrete testing laboratory under your umbrella, not just have it as a subcontract. So that's when I built a concrete testing laboratory. Now I can say I'm, I'm truly you know, a, a one-stop shop because now I have my own lab. Um, so you know, on that note, um, as I was, as I was uh, young in the industry, maybe you know, two or three years, um, I had a gentleman join me who became... Um, one of my structural directors. So he was uh, in charge of the structural division. He was, uh, he worked with me for a good couple of years. We got along great, you know, wonderful guy, wonderful engineer, very experienced. Um, and he got, you know, he got whisked away for his, his dream job. So he's, uh, he's, he's Colombian. He speaks Spanish. He's a PE. And some company said, Hey, we want, we need an engineer who can speak Spanish to run, basically run their own little, um, engineering company and and support what we do. So he says, you know, Matt, I, I'm sorry, I, you know, this is my dream job come true. I I have to go. I said, by all means, be- best wishes, best of luck. We'll see what happens, right? So he did that for five years, and then that company decided they didn't want to be in the engineering business anymore. So they were going to get rid of his his little division. So he calls up and tells me this, and he says, Hey, is there anything that you know you think we can do together? I said, Absolutely. So things kind of come full circle. So he actually had a, a, uh, an engineering company set up, which is what he did the engineering under for a, a large German steel manufacturing company. And uh, we saw an opportunity to, to, to partner with him. And, and he, he's a minority, he's a 100% owner. And so we saw an opportunity to, uh, again, form a, even a stronger strategic alliance. So he's now... You know, we have a relationship now where I can uh, subcontract work to his company, and we're we're now growing his company. So we're we're getting it certified as a special inspection agency. Um, we're even considering and and have the wheels in progress for basically taking my laboratory and shifting it under his umbrella. All right. So that was Matt Wavro. So you heard from Carl Gould, Bruce Eckfeld, Phil Buchanan, and Matt Wavro with excerpts from their Fueling Deals podcast uh, episodes, focusing on uh, aspects of how they accelerated uh, their growth or work with companies to accelerate their growth. So uh, 
again, uh, there were episodes of definitely worth uh, listening to in full. I uh, hope this uh, was valuable to you. Look out for once a quarter uh, other themes that we'll be doing on our best of episodes. And with that, I'd like to thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals, and then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer, signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at FuelingDeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.